it's a summer of diners again, only not for food. Ben is with her, so I've shifted into non-Ben mode, when my only concern is guiding thousands of people safely through the stratosphere, on through the troposphere, and back to Earth. My shift is over, and I hear an urgent voicemail from Sam. In a twisted and selfish way, I'm almost glad he sounds anxious. Someone else is having a crisis. We agreed to meet on the Upper West Side at Tom's, the coffee shop on Broadway used for exteriors on Seinfeld. When I arrive, Sam's already secured a corner booth. I scoot in opposite. Whatever it is, we're in silent agreement, we'll order first. He hasn't had dinner, so he goes all out, a bowl of minestrone and a hot turkey sandwich. I get one of my late-night standards, cheese blintzes. I always ate more Semitically than my ex-wife. We discuss Ben and Tel Aviv. Finally, I ask, what's happening? Sam nods. He's off his game, rambling about new material. Last weekend, I received a postcard from a club called Funny Bones, listing him alongside 15 others. I want to talk about area codes. Back when the city was just 212. All five boroughs, the pre-718 days. Before all the stupid cell phone shit. The 646. I grimace as if at a foul odor. Lame. What's next? Remember when Keyspan was still Brooklyn Union gas? Gee whiz, and the... And remember checker cabs? They sure had some big back seats. I shake my head. You're going to be a remember comic? Sam pretends I've heard him. Think it's easy. Get your ass up there. Just a mic. It's goddamn hard. I lean back. It's time to explain the urgent voicemail. He makes eye contact. Remember about a year ago, maybe two years, we were talking about Ben and all? You said something like, you'll see when you have a kid. Yeah. Deborah's pregnant. I lean way across the table. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. So, are you happy? He leans forward, too. Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, I think I am. Really. Finally, I smile. You don't have to apologize. He sighs as though he's shedding skin. He looks calmer, older, happier. He looks better. Yeah. I raise my glass and we toast. Then we fist bump and finally his smile spreads. What's Deborah's take? She wasn't feeling well. I had this doctor's appointment in Jersey City. Told her I'd go with her, and she said, Nah, it's probably nothing. So, she's real happy. But only if I'm happy, you know? Sure. I stare at Sam's dark arms. Deborah is paler than Lady Gaga, locked in a closet all winter. So, I'm imagining how the kid will look. Sam smiles. He can always read my mind. A swirl. Chocolate and vanilla on the same cone. The waitress puts down coleslaw and pickles. I notice she's very sweet 
and I smile at her, reminding myself I'm technically single again. In fact, it's not technical. I am single. Sam shifts, so he's almost supine. So, we're getting married. I need you for the best man thing. I drop the pickle. Holy shit. Big night. What else? You getting braces? Baby. Marriage. Funny bones. Yeah, that's it for now. The waitress drops off Cokes, and I wrestle with the straw. So, he asks, best man? Maybe. Depends. What's on Netflix that night? I blow the paper covering off my straw, and it catches Sam in the left ear. What the hell? Have to ask? Thanks. We both drink. And so? Any advice? I lean in again, and he leans in too. Parenting. It's the best thing ever going to happen to you. Ever. Better than falling in love. Better than sex. Better than anything. Absolute best thing. And you'll be terrific. I'm not so sure. I know you'll be terrific. How come? Because you just said you're not so sure. After work, I stop at my mother's, where Ben spent the afternoon. She's flipped a shoebox onto its side, zigzagged string across the opening, cut out a back door, and turned it into a cage for a plastic Simba. Ben is thrilled. It's nice to know she's still got it. To be honest, my mother and I always had an okay relationship, but we were never particularly close. It was nothing personal, just the usual thousands of years of mothers and sons pulling each other's reins. That is, we weren't close right up until the time my marriage imploded. Lately, we've been charting some new waters. While Ben naps, she turns off Jeopardy and asks me how I'm holding up. Fine, I say. No, she means really. Fine, I repeat. Then I make eye contact. Oh, I say. I see she's really asking about one of her greatest fears, without forming the words. She's asking about 1998. Just before my 20th birthday, I spoke seriously about taking my own life. There's obviously little need to add that I didn't follow through, but I lost most of 1998 because of it. When I had that gap year from college and worked construction and drank in Sunnyside and slept with a divorced mom. Later, when I took the physical at Fort Hamilton, the old petty officer that had me turn my head and cough gave me a seven-page form and knowingly and under penalty, I checked never next to antidepressants. So much for don't ask, don't tell. The Air Force never did learn about Prozac. Since then, so much changed, I feel I've lived several additional lives. But I don't think I could ever really be back in 1998 again. Of course, I don't know. It's a frightening thought. Don't worry, Ma. It's what I do. I looked at her. You know, I never doubted you. 
you know, loving any of us. I indicate Ben curled up on her sofa. That's what I want to do with this guy. She nods. I just don't want him to ever, you know, question if I love him. Not for one minute. My voice lowers. I know what it's like not to feel loved by your father. So make sure he doesn't, she says quietly. Then my mother does this thing she often does. She just starts singing. Her scratchy voice starts in on Love Me Do. Now it occurs to me that my sister's anniversary is next week. You having a mass said for Lizzie? She stares at me. Don't I always? I pause. That night, me and Katie on the stairs. Yes. I can still see Lizzie. My mother shakes her head. You, the others, you remember differently. When you think of your sister, you see her at that age, when she died. But I'm her mother. For me, it's different. I pause. What do you mean? She stares again. When I think of her, I think of her in my arms as my baby. I don't speak for a long time. Then I tell her, I'll take you to the mass. I'm starting a swing shift and our supervisor's briefing makes it clear this humidity will combine with an unstable atmosphere and provide a lifting source for a whole lot of moisture. In other words, thunderstorms, motherific thunderstorms, from what the system command center is predicting. Technically, JFK is in the Sirius ship, not LGA. We're 11 nautical miles away, great circle distance as the crow flies, not that very many crows soar over the Van Wyck Expressway. But both LGA and JFK, along with Newark, and a whole bunch of smaller fields within 100 miles, are all bound together like hostages, trussed at the wrists and ankles, because bad weather in and around New York City means all the runways in use will be closed and reopened, and overlapping arrival and departure patterns will be continually remade, and will all suffer as one until the moon rises high after midnight. Then again, who knows? The worst of it could skirt past Coney Island and bounce out to sea, but not before killing a few shit-faced, drunken summer speedboaters en route. When I was in the service, I took an advanced meteorology course at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi with an absolute weather legend, an old-school forecaster they still talk about for his prognostication skills and sheer brilliance. He was so good, the senior officers never scolded him for wearing white athletic socks with his service dress uniform. And he used to repeat the same mantra all the time. The best climate expert in the world, using the most advanced technology science can provide, 
is capable of one thing and one thing only, predicting weather for no more than the next 10 minutes. I stare at the online forecasts and a realization washes over me. Predicting weather is no different than predicting relationships. In fact, 10 minutes seems optimistic. We're on a hard wooden bench in the courthouse at Sutphin Boulevard, and Hillary is speaking too fast. It occurs to me, as much as I regret all that's happened, she may regret it even more. Starting with answering the phone the first day I called. This is one case that won't be settled through reconciliation. But we're all in now. First, I'm going to request they revoke Ben's passport. I nod. So tell me, West Falls on vacation. Do we get another judge? Yes, Judge Bullard. Is it a woman? Yes. I pause. Are they all women? I mean, the ones dealing with divorce and kids? Hillary laughs. Not always. It seems that way. Then she leans in. Mike, I... Yes? Well, I just... I want you to be prepared. I mean, you're a great dad. You love your son. But be prepared. I've seen this many times. Family court is the one place you don't want to be a man. Before I can respond, I look up to see the defendant arrive, along with her new attorney. This one isn't miniskirted. In fact, she's wearing pants. But when she glances at me, I almost shiver. Since Ben came along, I've spent many, many hours watching juvenile entertainment. There's no denying it. The resemblance is beyond dispute. Her new attorney is Alphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West. Soon we're standing before Judge Bullard in a small anteroom serving as a temporary office. She's seated at a rather modest desk found in any cubicle in what's left of corporate America. I study the face of justice, but can't conclude much. She's old, tired, perhaps even bored. Her assistant whispers constantly in her ear as Judge Bullard scans scores of pages pertaining to the life of my three-year-old son. In so little time, he's generated more than his weight in dead trees. The fruit of the marriage. Suddenly, the judge recoils. She beckons her assistant and whispers harshly. Then she addresses Elphaba and Hillary. Counselors, clarify something. Absolutely, Your Honor, says Elphaba. Sure, Judge, says Hillary. Judge Bullard holds up a weathered hand. Counselors, you're telling me it's been a year and these parties still aren't divorced? Can someone explain? Hillary shifts nervously. The parties chose mediation, Judge. They hoped Elphaba rudely cuts Hillary off. Clearly, there's no penalty for such behavior. Your Honor, my understanding is there were temperament issues. Mediation became impossible. There were too many anger issues. I turn imploringly to Hillary. 
but Judge Bullard speaks. I want all the parties up here, now. We all shuffle to the desk. Then, shockingly, the judge grabs Hillary by the shoulders and positions her facing front on the right. What is the plaintiff's name? I nod. Michael Mullen, Your Honor. She moves me next to Hillary. Then she positions the defendant on my left, and then Alphaba. Once again, I'm rubbing arms with the woman I exchanged vows with before a justice six years ago. Are we ready? Judge Bullard asks. I look about nervously. Is there no end to the theatrics of the judicial system? The judge stares. Are you both of sound mind and body? We nod, and we're sharply instructed to speak up. Are you both here of your own volition, with no coercion? I respond quickly, like in basic training, and she follows suit. Are you prepared to end the marriage you willfully entered into in, she peers down, 2008? We respond. You both realize this is permanent. This marriage will be dissolved for now and all time. We respond. And are you fully committed to taking this step? Oh, God, yes, please. We respond. Finally, Judge Bullard nods. The New York State officially grants your petition for divorce. You are no longer married. I look to my best man, Hillary, for guidance. Now what? Toss her garter? Then I make accidental eye contact, just a second, with my former bride. Her face reveals nothing. Judge Bullard has the last word. I want all of you in conference room C. You have unsettled issues with this move, all right? Let's get things worked out. I want you to settle these issues yourselves, not through court, all right? Take as much time as you like. The judge stares. Good luck to you, all right? And to your daughter. Our son, I say instinctively. But Justice's back is already turned. Now we're settled into conference room C. But we won't be discussing Israel, or Ben's passport, or the El Al flight I'm not supposed to know is already booked. Instead, it's Elphaba's show. She's Michael Jordan in here, and the rest of us are nameless teammates and opponents who grow even fuzzier on the highlight reels. Mr. Mullen, how many hours a week do you work? I cough and shift. That's in the paperwork we filed. Elphaba shuffles folders. It's all method acting in court, and some still seek motivation. All right. Plus overtime, yes? And mandatory training in Oklahoma. Only once a year. And graduate school. That doesn't seem to leave I'm not in graduate school for now. For now? Okay. Well, you're a busy man. So clearly, when Benjamin is with you, she inserts air quotes, he isn't always with you. He doesn't spend all those hours with you yourself, correct? My family helps, just like her family helps. She laughs, but with absolutely no mirth. It's theatrical and hollow, like justice itself seems to be. Yes, indeed, helps. 
She shuffles folders she doesn't need to see again because she's actually reading from a post-it. Obviously, Ben spends much time with Eileen Mullen. Exactly how much time would you guess? It varies. It varies. Okay. How about Catherine Mullen? Does that vary too? And Kevin Mullen? Thomas Mullen Jr.? Rosemary Mullen? All that time varies? Does Benjamin ever manage to spend some time with you? Or is it always your mother, your siblings, your siblings' spouses, your siblings' unmarried same-sex partners? I have to work to earn money to pay rent. Ah, that's funny. Because my understanding is you're currently living with your brother. Do you have canceled checks from what you've paid him? I've almost forgotten Hillary, but finally she speaks. I'm not sure where exactly are we going with this. Alphabet doesn't even respond and remains focused on me. So you spend quite a bit of time at work, yes? Throughout this long, hellish journey, I fought an internal war to keep my temper in check. Time and again, I felt bile rising in my throat, and I've suppressed it. But this woman seems intent on nurturing my worst impulses. Well, some of us work for a living. Not all of us spend five years in grad school living off someone... Hillary touches my arm. Elphaba turns to her post-it. Mr. Mullen, do you work with Benjamin on improving his vocabulary? For seconds, I say nothing. Yes. She locks eyes. Do these lessons include the word cocksucker? In your estimation, is that appropriate vocabulary for a three-year-old? The word cocksucker? Ben repeats things he hears. Things he hears from you. Yes. It was you who said cocksucker to him. I didn't say it to him. I said it in front of him. Ah, you think that's appropriate? A three-year-old should hear such language? He was asleep when I said it. He was asleep? Well, you just admitted you said it in front of him. And if he was asleep, then how did he hear it? And why did he repeat it to his mother? I turned to Ben's mother, but she's not even facing us. Her gaze is out the window. Hillary speaks quietly. I don't think this is productive, she puts in timidly. Are there other issues? Mr. Mullen, how long have you been licensed to drive in New York State? I shrug. I haven't always lived here. I served in the mill. When were you first licensed in New York? At 16. Right. So then you have a fair command of New York State driving regulations. I'm more than tired of all this. Sure, a fair command. So then you're aware of New York State Section 1129C. You might as well be speaking Mandarin Chinese now, and you know it. Elphaba chucks dramatically. No, it's not Mandarin Chinese, Mr. Mullen. It's New York State law, designed to protect the lives of children. This law has been in effect since April 1st, 1982. It requires all children under the age of four riding in an automobile to be properly restrained in an approved car seat. Have you heard this? Of course. Ben always... 
And yet last year, when Ben was only two years old, two, you allowed him to sit in the front seat and without a car seat at two. Isn't that correct? He was sick. He had just thrown up. Did you notify Ben's mother he was sick? I sigh and stare at the table. Elphaba nods, jotting meaningless notes on a legal pad. I'll take that as a no. Hillary dares to speak up. Is there anything else? Elphaba smiles. Well, yes. Mr. Mullen? I look at her. Mr. Mullen, do you feel three years of age is the appropriate time for children to be instructed in sexual education? I sit up straighter. Why not say what you mean, just once? Just come out and say something without all this bullshit preliminary... Hillary touches my arm again. Certainly. Elphaba smiles her mirthless smile. I won't use foul language like you. I hope that's all right. But I'll put it another way. Mr. Melvin, do you believe a father should show his three-year-old child his erect penis as a means of instructing? That's complete bullshit. Elphaba turns to her client, still gazing out the window. I've been warned about your temper, Mr. Mullen, but I turn to Hillary. Jump in any fucking time. Hillary opens her mouth, but once again, Elphaba beats her to the punch. Mr. Mullen, we can leave the room if you'd like to yell at your attorney. I'm not yelling at her. I see. You're yelling at me. Well then, I think we're done for now. She makes a big show of stacking folders and slowly scraping back her chair. Her client follows her toward the door, but not before Elphaba adds one more sort of voce aside, directed, of course, not at her, but at me. I thought controllers were so calm and cool. Good Lord, remind me to book flights out of Kennedy now. My sister Carrie calls from Florida, asking about Ben and court. I answer by rote. Just last year, Carrie was the center of the family's crisis command center. She found something strange while soaping her left breast. She's a nurse, so she knew a specialist in Fort Lauderdale. I flew down with my mother, and since the flight was oversold with spring breakers, I used my license to bum a cockpit jump seat. At the hospital, the exchanges with my older sister were awkward and filled with pauses. Then we all spent the next few months doing what American families do when there's a medical calamity in the 21st century. We sent cards and stuffed bears and cartoon emails and all kinds of gourmet brownies. Thankfully, the chemo worked and she got better. But she couldn't bask for long because my own shit show occurred during her convalescence. She says she wishes she were closer to New York, and I believe her. Now she asks how I'm holding up. What can I say? I know, Mikey. Hang in there. It's pretty much the same conversation each time. Then she says her stepson outgrew his Toy Story bedspread and pillowcase set, and maybe Ben would like it. Should she send it so I'll have it for when Ben sleeps over? Don't bother, I tell her. Ben may be sleeping in Israel soon. My optimism is dying fast. 
There were 18 families listed on the docket for Judge Rhonda Westfall today. This is Queens County, New York, USA, so that means I'm standing on the most ethnically diverse patch of land in the known universe. That's not hyperbole. It's a statistical reality confirmed online as quickly as blue-red-yellow, blue-green-red Google. Even so, outside the door, there's a complete listing of all 18 couples, posted right where a mezuzah would be nailed. And it's almost silly. If this were fiction, names would have to be amended to sound less stereotypical. Abruzzi versus Coletti. Chung versus Chung. V. Patel versus L. Patel. Fernandez versus White Fernandez. Mullen versus Cohen. I take a seat. Within minutes, I complete a statistical analysis and I'm shocked to realize it's quite damning to any vessel transporting XY chromosomes. All 18 mothers are here. Some are poorly dressed, some are loud and rude, some are sneaking texts when the bailiff turns away, and some strike their children without caring who witnesses a backhanded cuff. But all 18 are present. Conversely, there are only six fathers here today. Through the course of the day, when those names are called and then called again, explanations will be offered for the absentees. The father returned to his home country, Your Honor. The father serving a two-month sentence on Rikers Island on unrelated charges. The father's respecting the mother's restraining order. The father's being held at the 115th precinct due to these abuse charges. The father has a separate court appearance in Brooklyn. The father didn't respond to the subpoena. The father's whereabouts remain unknown. It's not particularly hot, yet four of the five other fathers are in shorts, and two were in tank tops. One, a bona fide BVD wife beater. Among all 18 families, I'm the only father wearing a suit and tie. Based on appearances, none of them seem to feel how I do, that Judge Rhonda Westfall holds their very lives in her hands.